delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is On the Grid. Good everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A full debrief on one of the best events in recent memory this week as the On the Grid team reflects on the Darwin Triple Crown at Hidden Valley Raceway. There's all the good, the bad, the indifferent, plus a reaction to a whole heap of other news, such as driver changes, Grand Prix extensions, and a whole heap more. We're about to get into that, but before we do, let's have a listen to two-time Australian driver champion Joey Mawson, who clinched the S5000 title at the weekend in Darwin. Joey, two-time Australian drivers champion. How does that feel? It feels amazing. It feels amazing. I mean, we had uh, one objective at the start of the season, which was to go back-to-back. Um, yeah, a few up, up and downs throughout this season. I mean, we didn't start off in the best foot after incident with Slady at round one, and we had to play catch-up all year. But, um, yeah, it hasn't really sunk in. It's a bit more relief at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure after we go out and celebrate with the team tonight, it'll definitely start to sink in a bit more as the days come. You're just the ninth driver in the 60 season history of the Gold Star to win a title back to back. To be a part of history is, is absolutely amazing. It, um, it means a lot to me and especially to do it here in my home country. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's very special to have my mum and dad here so, um, and, and a few friends. So, yeah, I just, I, I can't believe it's happened again. I really can't wait for it to really probably sink in. Standout of the season for you. On paper, the Grand Prix was super important from a championship points perspective. Absolutely. I mean, I remember going into the weekend, uh, Mark Rundle, my team boss, told me this weekend is going to make or break the championship because you got all these extra cars, so you're either going to win a lot of points or you're going to lose a lot of points. So you got to make sure you're on it this weekend. And um, that was my best weekend to date in the S5000 championship, and um, it really, really paid off. So, um, yeah, very uh, grateful that it, it worked out. And if anything, the competition this year was tougher. James Golding, as always, fast, and you two have got a great rivalry. Matt Crow always there, but then we had young guys like Cooper Webster who became a legitimate title contender this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, on on track, Jimmy was mainly my main rival. I mean, in the championship, it turned out to be Timmy throughout the year, but, um, you know, on paper, uh, Jimmy was probably the quickest throughout the season, and um, we're definitely battling with him. And, you know, young Cooper Webster did a fantastic job this season. I think he ended up second in the championship, so hats off to him. Um, he's been really good, and, uh, you know, uh, very grateful to drive with uh, really good competition throughout the season. I remember you telling me last year, you, you came back here to reboot your career. You've won two championships in under two years. How significant is this for you? Um, I mean, the gold star, you know, you're in the history book, so it's, it's very special for me. Um, you know, my end goal is to end up in supercars, so I hope uh, these two championships, uh, you know, put me forward towards that goal. Um, so, yeah, just um, taking it all in, going to enjoy this championship now and then uh, focus ahead of what the future holds. And just a word for your team that you've been with now for two seasons. They've won their eighth gold star, which is the most of any team in the history of the war. That's a, a huge thing for them as well. Absolutely. I mean, to make history together with my team, Team BRM, um, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I really have to thank those boys, particularly in Tasmania at the start of the season when they really put me into the championship hunt, getting me out the grid in, uh, in race three for the main race. Um, I've got to thank all my supporters, Alibar, Form 700, uh, the podium group who gave me a career um, to get me to this point. Obviously, mum and dad and uh, my partners. Joey, congratulations. You're a two-time S5000 Australian Drivers' Champion. Thank you very much, Crazy. Crazy. Cheers. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid.
All right, Richard Crail, good day to you. Hello, Tony. And as we record this on the 21st of June, happy birthday, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. 55 this year. Don't look a day over 54. Mark Walker, good day to you. Hello, Tony Shebecki. Uh, hello, Tony, the other person in this chat who wasn't nursing a mega hangover Monday morning. Congratulations. <laughs> no, that's right. You and I were probably the only two that weren't because this gentleman probably was also after a big weekend. It's the Doric guy, Tom Archuli. Hello, Tom. Happy birthday, Tony. Yes, I was part of a Darwin hangover club on Monday morning. That's I for sure. I didn't actually have one. Oh, well, obviously you went to the wrong party. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I genuinely the most surprised I've been at myself for a long time. I, I was tired, but yeah, amazingly got away with one there. It's, it's fantastic. All right, let's get the elephant out of the room nice and early. Uh, tell us about the weekend, boys. How good was it? Do you have to? Uh, yeah. No, we've got to. Let's get it done now. <laughs> Mark and I are just going to go away and vomit while you yeah. wax lyrical. <laughs> Uh, no, it was it was genuinely fantastic. It, it it's probably it's the best race meeting I've been to since pre pandemic for sure. And just from a from a scale, from the, the scope of what was there, from the on track product, from the off track offerings, to the combination of Darwin looking fantastic at the moment, the weather being great, everything around it adds to it. But from an event point of view, it was outstanding. It was the best Darwin event I've been to, and, and that's, I think, my 12th now. And just the whole package was very good. It was well-organised. Uh, entry and egress was really, really good. It was the, the officials were friendly. Take note, Sydney Motorsport Park. There, there were so many elements of it that just worked really, really well, and it was a really pleasant experience to be there at the racetrack. And then... You get all the peripheral stuff like the amazing weather and, and Darwin, which is a great place to go and visit this time of year and everything around it, ludicrous fighter displays and mm. top field cars. So, yeah, it was an assault for the senses and I've been there, yeah, 12 times. Tom, it was your first visit uh, and I saw your smiling face, A, in the back of camera shots as is standard for hashtag <laughs> Doric Guy, but uh, also when we bumped into each other across the course of the weekend and I could tell you were having a good time. Crazy. It was my first time at Darwin, as you mentioned, but it takes you by surprise of how amazing event it is. Like, if you haven't been there as a Supercast fan, you just have to do that event. Um, you just add a touch of reality. Like, all of us live down in the cold during winter. You go to Darwin, you spend five days there, and you have no idea that winter's going on. It's just yeah. you escape, and you get to go to this great race meeting, people wearing thongs to restaurants, no one wears pants, and it's warm, like, and the racing on track was fantastic as well. Hey, Tom, you've seen the bulk of the superbike racing this year. If that's what the standard fare is, I want more because that was bloody good. Like that was the best racing on the weekend bar none was the superbikes. It was really good, especially after last year when so many dudes got carted away in meat wagons and it was just a bit of a shunt fest. This year, the racing was just mega and they kept it nice and clean. It was really good to watch. Yeah, I think as I put in my report on the on the race talk, I think it was the best weekend supercar super bikes racing, sorry, this year. And they couldn't have not picked a better weekend to do it on the national stage with races on Channel Seven and Fox. It was fantastic racing. And they've got five really good guys in that series. And they were racing and they were close this weekend. And it was a credit to everybody in the series and the competitors. One, there was no crashes, two, the racing was fantastic. And you compare that racing to, say, some of the other categories that were on the card on the weekend where there was very little overtaking, 
would we say that 40 odd overtakes in race two mm. and most of them for the, for the first couple of positions, like that was fantastic racing. Tom, are you aware if there's more racing planned for 2023 and beyond? Uh, yes, they are trying to get super bikes on the circuit racing card. I know there's talk of potentially three to four next year. Um, all venue dependent, of course, but yes, hopefully there'll be more next year. But I know they're working on potentially two to four rounds uh, on the supercars card for the super bikes in 2023. So, what venues would we like to see them at, boys? We, we know Darwin's going to be on there if they're on again. Uh, what, what are the other two? Do we do we want to see them at the Bend? Do we want to see a street circuit? Well, I want to see a street circuit. <laughs> no, whether it will happen or not is uh, extremely unlikely. I think you'd go if you were Australian Superbikes, you'd go to places where you're not going to get a crowd on your own, because you want you keep yes. your standalone events where you'll get punters through the gate, and and they'll do that at Queensland Raceway, for example. But I think the Bend is a premium opportunity at what is a really good two wheel track. The racing there is always great on in bikes, so that would be a perfect one. And honestly, Sydney Motorsport Park, um, like you, Superbikes under lights, how good would that be? That would be pretty oh, spectacular. Yeah. And again, at another circuit that was quite literally designed for two-wheel racing. So they, they'd be the obvious ones in my mind that would stand out. The yeah. one drama with Superbikes is that they've got that build-up and packed-down time with the air fences. So if you can pick tracks that have wide-open spaces where you don't necessarily need to have, have a whole heap of air fences, that just works in their, fan, in their advantage. I tell you what, Tom, one of the most entertaining aspects of the non-racing program of the weekend was watching the Darwin officials madly dash, throwing the air fences. I don't know if you saw it, throwing the air fences over the wall, strapping them down. And then at the end of the race, as soon as the track was clear, they'd bolt over the fence. The things would be up in the air, flying back out the way. They did everything they could to turn the track around in the shortest possible time. It was in... 35 degree heat it was outstanding to watch yeah and that heat was bloody hot as well wasn't it mate <laughs> it was hot heat there was no doubt about it um it was great it but was- yeah good good congratulations <laughs> to the superbike teams putting on such a great show uh when they needed it for the sport because i think that's a really good weekend for the sport has been through some mm. some more downs and ups in the recent past um and this weekend was a real marker in the ground hopefully to to grow the sport uh in the in the coming years the, the other element of the weekend that I thought was outstanding was the drag racing component. And rather than the um, event model of having your race at day and your concert at night, it was race at day and then race at night. And the drag racing side of things was great to the point where there were people queuing to get in Friday and Saturday after the supercars had finished just to come for the drag racing. And... The crowd on Saturday night is genuinely one of the most impressive things I've seen in motorsport for a long time in in the number of people that were there. And they weren't just lining that hill on driver's left of the drag strip, but they were in the corporate suites, they were in that grandstand, they built at pit entry, they were lining pit lane. All the supercar teams would amble out of their garages and stick their heads through when the top fuel cars ran. It was really, really cool. And there was drag racing that the coverage didn't show some of the local support races. They would went and replayed the top fuel stuff. Um, but there was lots of local racing in and amongst the door slammers. And then of course the fuel cars, which are the highlight and no one left the last top fuel round. And they need two hours between each round just to rebuild the things. Cause they kill an engine every run. 
the last round was at quarter past 10 and the joint was still absolutely reamed when they ran. And the final pass of the night was a side-by-side pass for the win um, with uh, Damien Smith, I think it was, and Peter Shaburis at 500 k's an hour, both cars, and it was fantastic. And the place went absolutely ballistic. It was really, really good. So where where's the place to stand? Do you prefer to stand at the start line or down near the finish line where you were in one of the corporate suites there? Well, you need to be either a very, very important person or know somebody very important. I was in the latter. Uh to get to the start line and that is a rare trait now i'd seen top fuel racing before quite a few times but i'd never been at ground level on the start line to see them and it changes your complexion the earth and, shakes. and your underwear it, it is <laughs> it is incredible it, it just there aren't words to describe how phenomenal that experience is it, it literally sucks the air from where you're standing and moves it and you don't hear it, you feel it in your chest, and, and I could go on and on and on. But it was utterly bonkers. But then for the second run, um, we broke into a corporate suite <laughs> upstairs, sort of, it was open, and uh, and watched them from the side so you could see the entire pass. And that's where you really get the impression that, yes, they're actually doing 500 k's an hour. So if you get a chance to see them on the start line, it, it's not the best place to see the race, but it is the best place to experience a top fuel car at full force. And my God, they've got some force. And the other noisy thing was that F35 oh. and it produced the hit viral clip of the year so far with Neil Crompton trying to commentate this F35 bombing overhead. How was it live? Because it was pretty grouse watching Neil's description of it from home. It was genuinely scary. <laughs> <laughs> it was genuinely scary. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how low that bloke was, but he was bloody close to those power lines. I was fearing for everybody. I, I've yeah. seen a lot of flyovers at a lot of racetracks, and that is by far the lowest they've ever been. And and that approach was, as Neil said in the coverage, it was two hundred feet, if that. Like there, if there may have been a ceiling, and he was below it. It was. It was incredible. Wow. Uh, an F-35, what a plane. That's the first time I've seen one flying, and that was amazing. Uh, yeah, it was It was utterly spectacular. You had a bit of uh, excitement on Monday afternoon too, didn't you, Richard, with uh, three quarters of the Australian Air Force? Well, they they were operating all weekend. There's, there's joint joint operations up there at the moment. And, yeah, I ambled into the airport and plonked myself down at the window in the Qantas Club and was treated to 12 F-18s, four Lightnings, and a couple of Ospreys taking off in the space of half an hour. It's no wonder all the flights back to Melbourne and Sydney were delayed because uh, the RAAF owned the joint at that point. How did the no, Ospreys I mean, take off? Were they straight up and down or on the rumble? A uh, combination of both. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They were, they were awesome. Oh, good uh, on you, Richard. I'm very happy for you. Well yeah. done, mate. I'm yeah, good yeah on you ya. sound so genuine too. I, I'm... Oh, this is right up there with 2016 Indy 500 for mine, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Oh, I was there for that. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... We should mention the other supports before we get into a deep dive into supercars. Uh, everyone performed pretty well over the weekend. Yeah, look, it was it was pretty good. Uh, as, as Tom mentioned, the superbikes were the standout. Um, Carrera Cup was intense and probably highlighted, uh, as we touched on in the power rankings, by how close that field is. It is mm. viciously competitive at the moment, and you know, three or four tenths covering fifteen cars. Um, I thought it was five thousand did a pretty solid job. Their, their second race on Saturday was a good one. The reverse grid race was. Really interesting. Um, the cars looked good there. They were fast. They sounded good. They made plenty of noise. 
Um, Can we have a champion, Richard? Yeah, nice to see uh, Joey Mawson, and we'll roll some interview from his winning uh, winning chat later on in the show. I forgot to mention that, Tony, but I'll send you that audio, and you can roll it in later on. You betcha. and yeah, I, I thought that was a good support program. Just the diversity of it, Tom, for mine, was there was something for everyone. You know, touring car fans, open wheel fans, sports car fans, two wheel fans, drag racing fans. Like all they needed was to throw something on the speedway, which they absolutely should do next year. Get a field of sprint cars, and it would just be a motorsport bonanza. Well, it was crazy because you had racing all day and all night. It started so early because of the time difference and obviously because of the weather, it's warm enough to go do it that time in the morning. And F5, S5000 won at you know, 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and then we roll into supercars and it was a great event with everything for somebody. And Superbikes, as I said, um, I was really happy with what they did and what they put on and showed their, their, their class and what they could be uh, compared to some other categories as well. There's, there's um, one more thing before we talk about the yeah. supercars that, that I think Tom and I will agree on. Tom, you and I both got there on Wednesday. That first Darwin beer, is that not the best tasting beer of the come year? Come on, please. Come on, mate. Is that not just one of Kill the great us. life experiences? Have you got a mute button there, Tony? What's <laughs> I, if you have it at the, at the ski club or... So at the, you know it's 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 pretty good crowds. You've got to say it's a hard thing. To, it's a hard thing to do once a, once a year, I must say. Mm. Anyway, that's enough from Richard Crowell and Tom. Mark, you and I'll finish the program <laughs> now. Depression. Uh, no, look, how could you be depressed after watching what was a really good round of racing, especially for supercars? Three different winners with Anton Di Pasquale, Chas Mostert, and also uh, the bloke from Tipka. What's his name? Cam Waters got up and had a win as well. Uh, we saw teams turn their form around for season 2022 after what have been a couple of tough races for a couple of teams. And uh, we see a new team lead the team's championship in DJR taking the lead there. So it's all very promising. You know, the thing is this year we've talked about the team's inconsistency and how round to round a team that wins one place, they go to the next place and they're nowhere. On the weekend, we had Walkinshaw and Trinity United, Tickford Racing, Shell V Power Racing, Three teams have good weekends. Triple Eight didn't have a terrible weekend by any stretch. If it wasn't for Van Gis's little uh, bump and run and push himself wide there and cop a penalty in the final race, so he would have been on for three podiums for sure. So, I mean, it wasn't like they had an absolute blotto. Saying that, that was the first time that SVG hasn't been on the top step of a podium all year. So by their standards, it was a tough weekend. But the, the guys who were down a little bit on the weekend were Reynolds. Like he had a quasi shocker. What was he? 25th, 5th and 12th, which is, isn't great by his standards so far this year. And then you look down the order, guys like Todd Hazelwood and Tim Slade have been battling a bit lately compared to where they have been earlier in the season. So, but that's not massive. It's not these big teams that we expect to be pumping out the wins. They all pumped out a win on the weekend. So what does that say for Townsville? Absolutely bugger all because it, we still got no good form guide coming into it. Anyone's yeah. weekend, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It, there's there's a couple of good storylines out of it, though. I think the the first one we should probably touch on, and, and we talked about it in the preview and, and in the past, was that DJR had to deliver at this round, and they did. So they ticked that box massively after what was an utterly shocking Winton for, for reasons that have been discussed on this program and others, I'm sure. So they ticked the box there. Anton first, fourth, second. Will Davo a couple of poles and a couple of podiums. So great result in his 500th race. Both drew closer to Shane in the championship point of view. So that was a, a massive return to form. And as Shebex mentioned, they actually moved to the lead of the team's championship. 
So that was a that was a bounce back. That was the emphatic statement, Tom, that DJR had to make, and they absolutely delivered on it. Yeah, they needed to to bounce back after a pretty shocking winter. So what a what a weekend for Willie on his five hundred race start, two poles, two podiums would have definitely won the third race if it wasn't for the safety car and a mm. bit of argy bargy. Um, so they could have taken out two of the three races um, if things went their way, but. The speed was there. I think it's the best cars they've had all season in terms of consistency over a long run. Um, and that's why ultimately they could beat Shane because they were in front of him and could stay there um, with the pace that they had. The one thing that I don't get about their weekend is in that first race when they were running 1-2, they started 1-2, they were set for a 1-2. They covered each other off in the pit stop rather than covering Van Giers. Mm. If it wasn't for Van Giers' botched pit stop, they would have been toast. I yep. couldn't believe that that happened. Like, mm. instead of covering off the guy that's always coming through them, you know, they covered off each other, which just didn't make sense to me. No, that's a fair call too. And I suppose by virtue, it's quite funny, isn't it? We, we talk about DJR being on top of the team's championships now, which means they haven't had a bad year. So, yeah, they had a shocking winter. Mm. But if you take that, if that improves a little bit from what it was, you say DJR's had a very competent year. And obviously that's, shown by the fact they're leading the team's championship. Yeah, just touching on Mark's point about um, the strategy, like um, it's now a couple of rounds where people have stopped early. James Courtney in Perth, Chaz here in race three in Darwin, and no one's covered them off. And they've now been in positions where they've actually almost won a race. Obviously, Chaz won the race. Um, and no one's just gone, okay, we need to cover that off. And one guy has had all that clean air taken off and delivered a result that no one really expected from where they started on the grid. Mm. But there's no doubt Shane was going to win that first race. And and yeah, anyone you talked to on the day, had they not botched that stop, he was going to mow them down. There was It was as clear as the Darwin sky that day. Uh, so they probably got away with one there and, and, and got a really good result when it probably should have been a different story. So that was good. Um, Cam Waters. So Tickford now, I think we can officially say they've strung together at least with one car, three competent race meetings in a row. So Wanneroo, third, fourth, seventh, one, two, one at Winton. And we know how good he was there. And then seventh, first and third and pretty fighting sort of aggressive third in that final race there for Cam on the weekend. So three relatively similar-ish tracks, lots of corners, not a lot of straight, but um, similar sort of characteristics. Um, I, I think the job now will be to see if they can go back to Townsville, where remember they were terrible in week one and really good in week two last year. Um, can they carry that on to a couple of 250k races in a few weeks' time? But and can they now back on up with to a couple of cars, not just one, but well, they can, can they take it across the team? That's their other problem, is that they're a one car team right now. And uh, Courtney's been there or thereabouts, but he had yeah, an absolute shock, didn't he? It didn't help that his car got written off three times. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Twice in the one race. Yeah, that was uh, crazy. What? Uh, how much money do you want to bet that there's a fence in front of that uh, that culvert next year? Good chance. I, I love the fact that the news is the news uh, stations or the news shows ran James Courtney having the big accident and then the car being fixed for the next race. But the first shot they showed was his uh, bonnet bent. Yeah, so. well, yeah, yeah, they patched it together and it got destroyed again. So oh, uh, it was just a bad weekend. Yeah, what it's a, lucky they're not sheet metal anymore. No. What about uh, Walkinshaw and Treddy United? 
That was a wild roller coaster ride there, wasn't it? Disqualified from practice two for running wrong tyre pressures. Uh, finished fourth on Saturday, then disqualified for having the blowers on the car mm. uh, on the grid. They set, went to social media and said, we're going to appeal this. Then they never lodged the paperwork in time, so they couldn't appeal it. And then they went and won the last race. What a roller coaster. Can I say what I got out of WAU on the weekend was not the fact that Chaz is a very good driver and is still in contention for, if not the championship, at least second. I think what I got out of it was that Nick Percat isn't too far away. Any issues that he's had, I think, are nearly fixed, if not fixed. And I think he's going to have a good second half of the year. Yeah, it'll take some time to bond with Grant McPherson there with that engineering change, but he had a solid weekend. Yeah. Unspectacular, but solid. Gee, Chazzy's good, though, isn't he? What a fighter, and, and once again showed the qualities that he's got as, as one of the elite drivers in the sport to get his fourth win of the year on somehow on tyres that were so much older than everybody else's. He managed to hold off Anton at the end there, and really good race. Uh, one of the better races of the season to, to finish off the weekend. So, yeah, showed his quality, but just that inconsistency. They've had a couple of shocking rounds now, and, and you know, really they've had three bad rounds salvaged by that one race at the end of the weekend because, um, yeah, you... you you know, had that plot gone slightly differently, might have finished fifth or sixth, and all of a sudden it's not a particularly another particularly bad weekend for uh, for Car Twenty Five. But I thought that was great, good performance, and just a really good race as well. And and the other thing that not enough people have talked about is the three winners from three races thing. You don't, don't yeah. get that a lot these days. So three winners, three races, three teams doing the job as well, and a pretty good example of the parity in the sport. Uh, another good thing from the weekend was the Indigenous round. I think that was pretty well embraced and Excellent. it was more than just cool liveries. Like a lot of the teams had good tangible things going on that had good long lasting mm. impressions on what they were trying to do, which is really good to see. Who who won Indigenous round, do we think? Tom? Um, I'm a little bit biased, but I, also, but I think like, I like that Penrite Racing and the Groves did a, a great job in donating some some finances to the communities. And I think for me, that's I think the next step for us next year. Like the Indigenous liberties were fantastic, but mm. I want us to leave a little more of a footprint in those areas, maybe give something back, back to those people. Um, not sure how we do it. That's for the for people other people to work out. But I think we could maybe maybe make more of a social effort. Um, for 2023 in Indigenous round. So I was really happy with the first step, but I think we can go a little bit further next year. But even like the didgeridoos, that's a cool thing. You know, yeah. the Gold Coast is all about the surfboards and that's a trophy everyone yeah. wants to get. You're going to want to get one of those didgeridoos, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, Tickford lost it though from a putting in zero effort kind of thing. Now, now we understand there were some sponsorship clashes there and, and a, the, the word on the street is that Monster had, no, you are not touching our livery with anything edict down. And, and that, I suppose, is their prerogative. But it just felt like across the board, there was pretty minimal effort inputted from all of them. BP were very good with it. And the, the safety car, I thought, looked great. And of course, that was mirrored on Tom Randall's car. But outside of that, pretty we should, poor. We should mention then that Red Bull were very uh, 
very supportive of it because that well, those and that car look pretty good. Is that improved that normal? Car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you could normal. say you could say the same about the subway car at, at Premier Racing as well. That was good. I thought that looked yeah. brilliant. That was an improvement on a standard subway livery. And we'll talk D- more about DJR that. DJR cars are fantastic, but they just looked like a big QR code. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they scanned them the right way and got some wins. <laughs> But no, it was good, and it and it added another little element to that Darwin event, which I think's great, because um, that event's been around a long time now. So they're they're consistently reinventing, consistently. Uh, it's like what the Adelaide Five Hundred used to do back in the day was was something new every year to to keep it engaging, and it hundred percent worked. It was really good, really well done. You mentioned uh, Dave Reynolds wasn't fantastic throughout the weekend. I thought Andre Heimgartner though was. It wasn't too bad. Well, isn't he and BJR stringing together a pretty good middle part of the season? We talked about this after Winton. So another really four really strong uh, top 10 finishes mm. on the cusp of a podium in race one on the weekend. He's ninth in the championship now. He's not far behind Brody Kostecki. And based on Erebus's last couple of rounds, you'll probably get him next time out. He's actually not that far behind Brock Feeney either. So... Andre showing how good he is, and Brad Jones, after a shocking start to the season, have really got that car going well. And um, that little combination, I think they've been flying under the radar quite a lot in recent rounds. Yeah, agreed. Uh, before we wrap up supercars, we've got plenty to talk about, including the uh, extension of the Australian Grand Prix. The tickets have gone on sale for the few upcoming rounds. There was a lot of talk over the past few weeks that Auckland was gone but tickets have gone on sale there. So obviously a deal's been struck and Sandown have also got their tickets on sale as well. Yeah. So it was announced uh, in the broadcast on the weekend and subsequently via media release that both of those events will go ahead. So a deal was struck with the promoters in New Zealand. The The reason there was a delay in confirming that event was down to the freight, current freight issues and, and more to the point, the cost, which is four times as much as what it was pre-pandemic. So the Ukraine war. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, so there's there's been a deal struck to get those cars over there. Sandown was at question because of the logistics issues around getting the cars in and out of New Zealand and getting them back in time for Bathurst. So th- those issues have been resolved. So yes, we go to Sandown, which is great, and back to Pookie, which is one of the ballsiest, most awesome tracks on the calendar. And I can see Tom rapidly booking his flights already for that uh, bit of Do- Doric New Zealand activation. So it's going to be a, um, yeah, really, really good. So that just locks the key elements in the championship in. Yeah, the Kiwi round is so important for the series. It's those fans, even without Scotty there, um, the the fans in New Zealand are so hardcore. It, it, it ranks as Bathurst in terms of the hardcore fan stakes for a round of the Supercars Championship. Um, they're rare before the gates open, lined up to get in hundreds deep. Um, it's one of my favourite rounds of the season to go to. So I'm really excited that we get to go back there since the first time since 2019. Just so long as there's a same on Ute race and they get to sell some more turrets and stuff on Monday morning. Those things were utterly, hmm. utterly bonkers. But no, that's good. good. Two two classic circuits as well. And glad Sandown's back. And, and the other thing before we talk Grand Prix we should touch on is uh, we finally had some news drop that we could talk about. Um, and not great news if you're Gary Jacobson because he is out at Premier Racing uh, as of today, effective immediately as we record this podcast. So uh, timed well for us, not very good for Gary Jacobson, and I suppose begs two questions. One, why? And two, who replaces him? 
Yes. Uh, it's interesting because you go back to the Grand Prix and he had three top tens back then. You know, that was probably the best event he's ever had. And a few events later, he's on the outer. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We probably have to wait and see what Gary has to say about the whole situation. You know, the backing on that car was sort of a, a, a legacy, I guess, of the Coca-Cola deal, which comes through Chris Pither. You know, Andrew Van Leeuwen's mentioned that Zane Goddard's in line there or Kirk Kostecki, who were signed on as co-drivers at Tickford. I mean, is that going to be a straight swap? Would Gary slot back into his old team for Bathurst uh, if he doesn't have anything else on the go and one of those guys steps up to take that drive for the rest of the year? But, uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting. He didn't expect to see it so happen so suddenly. He had a pretty shocking weekend running into a lot of moving cars. And I think Chris has done a pretty good job recently and, and out-qualified and out-raced uh, Gary on multiple occasions uh, since that good run at the Grand Prix he had. So surprised to see something happen mid-season, but, um, you know, supercars world, she's interesting. She's interesting. Um, well, one result, can only think that the money, the money's yeah. fallen away. Mm. Yeah. Because I, obviously I, it's a paid drive and you wouldn't get rid of a driver if it's a paid drive. Well, yeah. And, and I, you know, on paper, the results aren't that different to, Pither, but I think Pither's definitely been the better of the two this season in terms of results and the car speed. Uh, Chris, I think Chris can consider himself unlucky that he hasn't had more top tens than he's had this mm. season. Mm. He's done quite a good job in that car, but it just it smacks of being a, a budgetary issue more than anything else yeah. for mine for that car. So maybe they find they either find a driver with more budget or they've decided that just just cut you know clean break now and plug someone else or try a couple of other drivers, invest, who knows? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that uh, plays out. Speaking of investing, 10-year uh, investment into the Grand Prix for Melbourne, which is a great get for them to the end of 2035. Sydney are spewing. They thought they had it. And it turns out also that Adelaide believe they might have had a bit of a good chance as well. Yeah, it was never going to go anywhere else, was it? No. Let's be honest. I would have thought so. Not a chance, especially not Sydney. That that proposal was ridiculous. Um, the sporting capital of the world, apparently, to their premium. Um, allegedly. Uh, yeah, no, look, but great news. Really, really good. The, the pressure on at the moment to keep that event, um, even with all the success this year, when you've got so much money being thrown around F1 at the moment, just to be on the calendar is a big thing. So the the long duration of it was a little bit of a surprise, I think, when it was announced. But the biggest surprise of that announcement was that F2 and F3 were both coming with Formula 1. That that was significant. And yeah. I listened to uh, our friend of the show, Andrew Westercott's interview with Jared Waitley on SEN in Melbourne um, the day after the announcement. And he implied it was their prerogative to bring them down, to add to the international flavour of the event. Because Jared asked a question of, you know, this takes more investment. And Andrew was like, yep, it does. And I would have thought that they could have very easily said, no, we don't want to spend that extra money. Let's just focus on what we've got. So they've clearly made a call. It's been offered to them by Bruno Michel and the people that run Formula 2 and Formula 3 in in partnership with Formula 1. And um, the deal's been done. So... It's a big roll of the dice. It's a massive logistical exercise. Where do they pit? Where do they work from? Uh, usually they operate out of their trucks with the annexes onto the side. Um, love a good annex. Excellent mm. to see them uh, bolted onto the side of those trucks. You, you, and, and you do, your, do your best work there, don't you? Do really? your best work, yep. 
But so they won't have that. So do they operate out of marquees? Yeah, who, how does it work? How does it affect the local support program? Lots of questions to be asked. But uh, yeah, it's a big addition. It's a big roll of the dice from the AGPC, but well done to them. So in regards to supports then, Mark, does that mean F2, F3, we say Carrera Cup and Supercars, and that's probably it? Oh, that'd be enough. I mean, this year they were probably one short. There was just a, a fair bit of downtime between the races. So, yeah, if you can pat it out with those four, that's a quality lineup and it keeps everyone happy. It's a great it's lineup. Porsche in the game. Supercars, are, you know, have found their, their place in the pecking order at the Grand Prix, which is good to see. I mean, I've heard it on this podcast that, you know, the Australian Grand Prix had to be careful if, you know, this year's event didn't happen. Oh, boy, we're in a bit of strife here. But now they've got one of the longest contracts out of everyone. Mm. And this is against a backdrop where they've got 23 events on the calendar already. You know, we've got all these Middle Eastern events wanting a place on the calendar. It's it's pretty cool that our little part of the world down here is seen so highly in the F1 circles. I mean, they were obviously very happy with what Australia have done to the circuit and the facility and and there was a promise, too, that there's going to be more investment in it, which is a cool thing to see. And you're hearing about some of these European races like Spa and, and even Monaco potentially being uh, biannual races. To have a, a full every year race in Australia till 2035 is something I didn't expect to happen, that's for sure. And I think uh, one of the surprising things for me was when they announced F2 and F3 is, is how it's going to work from a, a TV timing perspective because usually as we watch the F2s and F3s, it's, uh, early evening Australian time. So that would be in Europe, it'd be in the early hours of 2 to 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. So not quite sure who's going to be able to watch it um, in Europe, but they'll do what we have to do, get up early in the morning to watch it if they're mm. really keen. So interesting to see. I didn't expect that at all. I don't think anybody really expected F2 mm. and F3 to be part of the, the announcement. And another part too is that they were guaranteed a certain number, I mean, it hasn't totally been determined yet as the first event of the season, which is a, a cool thing for, for five, Melbourne once again. Five. Yep. Five out of that 10 will be, well, five out of the next, because there's already two years left on the deal, weren't there? So I think it's five out of what is now 13 years, including this year, I think guaranteed to be the open season opener. Hmm. So you can imagine the date's actually going to, chop and change a little bit. You'd, you'd imagine there'll be a couple of years where it's early March and then there'll be and a couple of years where it April. runs where it ran this year. Yeah. Um, but clearly, you know, date equity is important, but at the same time, based on this year, no one gives a stuff whether it's round one or round three, people will go. No, one or it, another. it's a similar period, isn't it? It's a four to five, yeah. six week window. So it's, it's yeah. not too bad. Yeah, but it's great, great for the sport. I, I stand by the fact that I think this year had to happen to get that deal done. Um, and, and I'm sure there was a reason why it wasn't announced at the event this year, because that would have been the best way to make a, a splash. But uh, it, clearly it became an irresistible proposition with what we saw at Albert Park this year. And we'll have multiple Aussies on the grid as well. We'll have definitely hopefully Jack Dillon uh, and Caelan Williams in F2 and obviously hopefully Oscar Piastri and uh, Denny Rick in F1. So plenty yeah. of Aussie flavours in the, in the in the open wheeler category. Yep, certainly. Oh, can you imagine Shebeck's Melbourne's own Oscar Piastri, a boy from the Burbs not far from Albert Park. Can you yeah. imagine that joint with him on the grid? Literally my, half an hour down the road. My really God. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, no IndyCar. Wrap on NASCAR, Mark? No NASCAR. NASCAR weekend off, though there was a Canadian Grand Prix, which uh, went down to the wire. Oh, yes. It's interesting there at the end. Uh, 
turns out a fast Red Bull in a straight line is better than a Ferrari with DRS. Hmm. It's been the same all year, hasn't it, though, Marco? Really? It's been the same strategy they've run and it seems to work for them. Martin Brundle said it earlier in the, you know, this DRS zone, it's too long, it's too easy to overtake. And for most of the cars, it really was. But uh, there at the end, you know, Max had to get the job done and he and he got it done and old Carlos still number two. Will that happen? Stop it. <laughs> all right. Well, how, how good's Max though? How good's Max? Like, yeah. take take all the personality stuff out of that. He's at a now he's, he's twenty four years of age and he's in the top ten of all time winners. Like, yeah. he is he is something else. That kid. If he races a Red Bull for the next ten years and he wins seven races, he's gonna he'll smash Lewis' record. Mm. You seriously can't see him racing anything else, can we? No. No, where, where do you go? That's Dr. Helmut just absolutely loves him. He's a son he ever, never had. Yeah, well, it's a pretty good relationship right now, isn't it? Because yeah. he's, he's doing the job. And uh, with Ferrari, still got the faster car, but unable to convert. Again, poor old Carlos. He's been bridesmaid so many times. Doesn't know which way to go. But uh, I'm sure he'll get a win at some point. Um, behind that, it looks like Mercedes may have fixed their uh, little porpoising issues. And, and uh, suddenly went faster. How, yeah, how does that work? Amazing, amazing. Um, after all the controversy and blow-ups during the week, and uh, yeah, Lewis positively sprung out of his car, um, having finished third, which was a fair old contrast, wasn't it? So Without a sore back, you can do that. Yeah, amazing. Very interesting. Very interesting. They turned from uh, a porpoise to a dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, it liked it, and uh, they go back to Europe now, and um, nice to see Montreal back. Fantastic racetrack. But uh, yeah. British Grand Prix not far away at Silverstone, which is going to be very cool. And on that note, I bid you adieu to you and you and you. Happy birthday, Tony. Happy Thank birthday, Tony. Appreciate it. Time to go and have dinner with the family. Enjoy your week, folks. Thank you for joining us right here on The Grid.